Well, good morning. It is great to see you guys. We had a glorious homecoming celebration for our uh, dear friend, Henry Green, who went home to be with the Lord. And we have uh, a good, uh, Henry Ziegler, thank you, Henry Ziegler, and, and a good handful of his family here with us. So let's give Henry's family a, a hand. Thank you for being with us. It was wonderful to, to get to know even more about Henry. And uh, growing up, Henry was called Little Man. That was his nickname. And it wasn't because of his stature. It was because even as a kid, he was a little man. And he was always wise beyond his years. And that reminded me that the followers of Jesus Christ were called Christians, which was actually a phrase that meant little Christs. Did you know the word Christian is only mentioned twice in the entire Bible? And each of those times are sort of slurs that people said about the followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ. They called them Christians, those little Christ people. And as Cassidy prayed, may we be called Christians. May people see us and see Christ in us. So if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Isaiah chapter 42. This is a glorious chapter. And I'm excited to walk through this chapter with you. Isaiah chapter 42. By the way, did you guys see Brandon and Darnell this morning? It's great to have them back. Welcome. You guys give a hand to Brandon and Darnell. Welcome. Welcome home from Kenya. Um, It's Isaiah chapter 42. Did you guys know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? We've opened up the word of God and God is about to revive and resuscitate our faith. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Have you ever been tired of being conformed to this world and always having an inclination to this world? Well, the Bible Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And it renews our mind, resuscitates our soul. And Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. I'm glad that you're here this morning. It's about just a small percentage of the battle, the main battle, and your life being transformed, and mountains around your life moving, is to expect to meet with God this morning. So let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would meet us at our place of deepest need. What is your deepest need? Do you have an expectation For the God of all glory, the God of all comfort, the God of all power, the healing God, the restoring God, do you have an expectation for this God who meets us at our place of deepest need? Do you have an expectation for this God to transform your life? Oh God, here we are. Meet us at our place of deepest need and move mountains in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. As we walk through our series, The God You're Looking For, and this morning we're talking about, as we walk through Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 66, we're talking about a God who brings forth justice. A God who brings forth justice. Because one day, God the Father looked down at all of the rape. He looked down at all of the sex trafficking. He looked down at all of the worldwide slavery. He looked down at all the despair, the suicide, the hopelessness. He looked down at all the addiction. 
He looked down at all the idolatry. He looked down at all the national egotism and cynicism and sarcasm. And he said, enough, enough. And the father looked at the son and he said, it's time to bring forth justice. And God bringing forth justice to this world is in two installments. Let's not forget that. The first installment is when Christ came and through his blood he created the church. And the second installment is when Christ returns and he establishes his kingdom and he restores creation. And when he returns, the Bible says that a child will play next to a cobra's den. A lion will lie lie next to a lamb. And nobody will be harmed on all of God's holy mountain as he restores perfect peace. And as we walk through Isaiah, we see that the first and the second dispensation are woven back and forth. The first time that Jesus came, he he humbly rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. But the second time he comes, he will ride gloriously in power and authority. The first time Jesus came, he wore a crown of thorns, but when he comes again, he's going to wear a crown of celestial glory. The first time that Jesus came, he was covered in his own blood, but the second time he comes, he will be covered in the blood of the nations. The first time that Jesus came, they spit upon him and ridiculed him and mocked him. But the second time he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so as we walk through Isaiah 42, it is interwoven with each of these dispensations as Jesus brings justice to the nations. And how will Jesus bring justice to the nations? As you can imagine, it's counterintuitive to the way that we think justice should be brought to the nation. We have an arms race. We have a cold war that is raging. We have so many uh, nuclear submarines and nuclear missiles. We could destroy the world many times over. And you would think that in order to bring justice to the nations, you have to make your presence known. And to bring justice to the nations, you have to flex your muscles. But Jesus, in his first dispensation, begins the process of bringing justice to the nations by being a servant. Let's look at it. Chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant. And a servant is simply one who does the will of an authority. Do you realize when Jesus walked this earth for 33 years, he never did anything of his own. He never said anything He never winged it. He never did anything of his own power. He never went anywhere uh, according to his own inclinations. And you know that he would have the best instincts, the best inclinations through the power of his word. Jesus created the cosmos and holds it all together. Yet Jesus said nothing, did nothing, performed nothing of his own power. Instead, he submitted himself to his father. And so Psalm, or Isaiah 42 begins, Behold, my servant. And Jesus is the one who, for 33 years in this earth, being tempted more in every second than any of us can ever imagine being tempted, yet he knew no sin, not in action, not in thought, not in even motive. Jesus not only did the right thing every time, 
He did the right thing every time for the right reasons. And it was always for his father's glory. Jesus was the perfect servant who did nothing on his own, but everything according to the will and the pleasure and the glory of his father, even functioning in the might of the spirit. When Jesus raised the dead and he cast out demons and he fed the 5,000, he wasn't showing off what he could do. He was showing us what we could do. When we also are entirely submitted to the Father and trusting in the Spirit of Christ. Before the service, Robbie Bollinger said, you know, I was listening to a sermon series from way back. I remember the sermon series you did on Ruth. And so uh, I went back to, to listen to it, and he said, he said, man, that was, that was really amazing. And he said, you know, I, I listened to other, other series on this, and then I listened to the Hope Work series on Ruth, and I just thought, wow, that was just phenomenal. And I said, well, I, I certainly had a lot of resources for that series. I remember that series. It greatly comforted me. But I also remember it was one of the darkest seasons of my life. And I said, it's easy to be anointed when you're going through difficult times. We all want the anointing, but we don't really relish the trial, do we? Well, the Bible says, relish the trial, rejoice in the trial, because when you are placed in a situation where you have to be 100% dependent upon the Lord, then you experience the power of God. And so, in establishing justice on this earth, in the first dispensation, Jesus came as a humble servant. In fact, Mark 10, 45, Mark 10, verse 42 through 45, Jesus contrasts um, his leadership with the world. Jesus called his disciples together and said, you know that those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. How many of you have had a boss at work that was abrasive and they just lorded it over you? And the great ones, the leaders, exercise authority and they're proud of their authority? Jesus said, but it not shall be so among you, among my followers, among the little Christs. But whoever would be great among you must be your servants. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then watch what Jesus says about himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in bringing forth justice, first and foremost, we see that our Lord is a servant. And this also brings forth a pattern for ministry. This brings forth a pattern of what our church should look like. And this brings forth a pattern of how, as, of how we, as little Jesuses, as Christians, of how we should conduct ourselves and how we should approach ministry. We too should be servants. We too should be entirely dependent upon the Holy Spirit, entirely submissive to the Father's will. How often do we say, oh God, bless what I'm doing. And God said, I never told you to do that to begin with. Instead, we should, we should seek the Lord. We should discern his will. We should follow him by being submissive to the Father, following Christ, relying in the power of the Holy Spirit, and serving one another in humility. And I'm so grateful because we have a church of amazing servants. As I was reflecting on this passage this morning, 
I thought of Ed and Chris, my dad, and many others around here, many others who act like full-time staff but are completely volunteers. And they just serve because of the love of Christ within them for the church family. Is that not incredible? I remember one Sunday night service, I was rather discouraged. It was a low turnout. It was during worship. And it was May. It was the month of May. And up on the screen, we had Christmas graphics behind the words. And it was May. And I just thought, this is a really downer. I mean, we're not worshiping with excellence. And and Chris was like, right, right, where Joe Lynn is sitting. And I walked up to Chris and I said, Chris, what month is this? And he said, it's May. I said, yeah, look, look up at the screen. What, what are Christmas graphics doing on the screen in May? And he just smiled. And I said, would you just take over the, uh, the multimedia? Just take it over. And he puts, I mean, his whole heart into it. Whatever he does, he will do it with excellence. And between Chris and Ed, now we have like a TV back there. And so the band can see the words. I can see the words. And we have the screen. And, and sometimes we even have a little light show going on with the, with, the, with the videos. It's just incredible. He's just serving the Lord with excellence. Do all things with all your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. Jesus models this. Jesus was first and foremost, in establishing justice, a servant. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. This is what the Father is saying over the Son. My soul delights in the Son. Remind you of the baptism. As Jesus followed Jesus, as Jesus followed his Father's will in baptism, When he came up out of the water, the spirit, through the form of a dove, descended upon him. And the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He was walking in submission. He was walking in obedience to his father and his father delighted in him. The depths of the father God delighted in the son. And so it is with us when we as followers of Christ walk in obedience When we walk in surrender to the Father, He rejoices in us and He delights in us. And so let me ask you this, have you followed Jesus in baptism? Because Jesus said, follow me, and so you followed. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? Am I really your Lord? Am I really in your heart? Have you really been born again? Has your heart really been transformed? You call me Lord, but is it with your words or is it with your heart? Because you desire to follow me. And when I command you to righteousness, you walk in righteousness. When I command you into freedom, you walk in freedom. When I command you into holiness, you walk in holiness. When I command you to share your faith, you share your faith. When I command you to follow me in baptism, you follow me in baptism. Are you obedient to the Lord? Or do you simply say, Lord... Uh, with your words, but you don't mean it with your heart. Jesus brings forth justice in his first dispensation or his first coming by first of all, walking as a servant, being completely obedient to the Father, and then functioning entirely in the power of the Spirit. I have put my Spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And what happens when the Spirit works through Christ. Again, 
Christ created the cosmos and holds it together by the power of his word, he could have walked on water of his own volition. He could have raised the dead of his own power, but instead being surrendered to the Father to give us an example and being dependent upon the Spirit to show us our potential. And that's why Jesus said, you can do even greater things than me. Jesus walked in complete power and authority. And it looks like this, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. When we are anointed by the Spirit of God, we bring good news to the poor. We bind up the brokenhearted. We proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is what Jesus did, and this is what we should do. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them, I love this, beautiful headdresses instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus was entirely submitted to the Father. He was entirely dependent upon the Spirit to show us how to live and our potential in following Christ. Oh, and, the, and those who were mourning began rejoicing, and those who were covered in ashes were covered in beauty, all for His glory. And this should be a pattern for our ministry as well. We should be servants of Christ. We should be obedient to Christ. And we should be spirit-filled because we are entirely dependent upon Christ. And so we are marked by the Spirit's anointing upon our life. We are spirit-filled. If you recall when they stoned Stephen, the church's first martyr, and you realize, speaking of martyrs, that there are more martyrs in our day and age, than all of church history combined. To follow Christ, we are never given the promise of safety. But to follow Christ, we are given the promise of trials and tribulation and persecution from the world, and we're given the promise, furthermore, that in following Him through persecution, He will be greatly glorified, and His purposes will be carried out as a result of following Christ. He will be glorified through it. And the first martyr, Stephen, his face shone like that of an angel as they were persecuting him. He was radiant. And we should be so surrendered and spirit-filled that the spirit exudes through our countenance and shines through our countenance and people see something different in us and through us. This is what a servant of the Lord looks like. A servant of the Lord is obedient to our master. A servant of the Lord is surrendered to his power and dependent upon his power. And a servant of the Lord is filled with his spirit so that he shines through us. A master can trust in his servant if his servant conducts himself in a manner as if the master were there himself. 
And this is what I pray for people who are going into ministry and, and who are, are, are going into missions. I pray, Lord, let it be as if you yourself are walking in their steps. Let it be as if you yourself are speaking through them. Let them be so hidden behind the cross that people see you and not them. And when they speak, let it be your words. This is a servant of the Lord. The master is walking through them. The master is talking through them. And that master can trust that servant with more and more. So in the first dispensation, Jesus is first of all a servant. Secondly, and I love this, Jesus is gentle and compassionate. Look how gentle and compassionate Jesus is. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Is this not an incredible description of Jesus? He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will bring forth justice. I went to a, a show last night at Bass Hall. It was called The Illusionist, and the MC there was flashy, to say the least. He wore this jacket that sparkled. He wore these shoes that sparkled. I mean, he was absolutely flamboyant. And that was absolutely the opposite of what we just read Jesus is like. He is the very opposite of flamboyant. He was the very opposite of abrasive. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't harsh when he walked this earth. He didn't draw people to himself. He wasn't a showman. He didn't attract attention to himself. He was always pointing praise and honor to the Father. And in the same way, we should always point praise and honor to Jesus Christ. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Our ministry should be characterized by gentleness. And our ministry should be characterized by compassion. A bruised reed. Think of this, you're out in the field and, and there's grass and there's a reed, just a blade of grass. It's bruised in the middle and it's bending over and it's about to break underneath its own weight. And the dew upon it is, is causing it to, to almost break. Jesus would not walk by and neglect that. Instead, he would hold it up. He wouldn't even break a bruised reed. And that bruised reed is a picture of broken hearts and broken lives. He didn't walk past them. He wouldn't snuff out a smoldering wick. A burning wick. The last little glow on a candle's wick. It's starting to smoke. And the fire is about to evaporate. And it's just a red glow on the wick that's burnt around the wick. Jesus wouldn't walk right past that. He would be gentle with it. He would revive it. He would resuscitate it. He would bring a flame back. And in the same way, this is a reference not simply to a wick. It's a reference to the last glow of passion in a person's heart. The last glow of hope in a person's heart. The last little glow of encouragement in a person's heart. Jesus wouldn't just walk right by it. Instead, he would be attentive to it. 
The world walks right by bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. They don't notice them. In fact, the, the world, or when we function in the flesh, even as followers of Jesus Christ, through abrasiveness, through insensitivity, through thoughtlessness, through having no filter between our mind and our mouths, we so often snuff out that last glow on the wick. We so often break that reed, and we so easily crush hope. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he was attentive. He had this radar, and like a magnet, he was attracted to the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks. But not only that, the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks were attracted to him because he was gentle and he had a quiet nature. Bruised reeds and smoldering wicks are never attracted to human charisma. They're never attracted to the showman type. They're never attracted to harshness and abrasiveness. Bruised reeds and smoldering wicks are attracted to gentleness. Which is why Jesus was always surrounded by bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, and that infuriated the religious leaders. And they said, why are you surrounded by these sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus said, this is why I came. The the, the healthy have no need of a physician, but the sick. And I'm the great physician. And I have come to resuscitate the smoldering wicks and to strengthen the bruised reeds. And this should characterize our ministry as well. You know, at Henry's service yesterday, one of the sisters spoke a beautiful eulogy, and with tears in her eyes and tears streaming down her cheeks, I was standing up here on the platform with her. She looked at me, and she just said over and over, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a church family to our brother. Thank you for loving him, and he was easy to love. But she said, thank you for being a loving church family for him and giving him a family. And as she was thanking me, I was interpreting that as Jesus thanking us through her and exhorting us through her to continue to love and strengthen bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Because we all came to Christ as a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. And then the next characteristic of our Lord, establishing justice on this earth. First, he's a servant. Second, He's gentle and compassionate. And third, he is determined. Verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. I like this because so often followers of Jesus Christ are just tired and just worn out. And I am too sometimes, but I was both convicted and encouraged by this. Because if I am a servant of the Lord, filled with the Spirit of Christ, walking in gentleness and compassion, then I don't have to be tired. I can take a nap. Jesus took naps. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus took naps. He made sure that he didn't function in just a tired, worn-out manner. But he never grew discouraged. He never grew faint. He ministered to the discouraged, he ministered to the faint, but he made sure to have boundaries in his life to protect his weariness. He made sure to have boundaries in his life to to, to be revived, to be energized, to protect his relationship with the Lord. Jesus, our Savior, never grew discouraged or faint. 
And with dogged determination, he was focused on his goal, and that was the cross of Christ. And so perhaps we should dust off our time with the Lord, our quiet time, and make sure that we are spirit-filled because in the presence of the Lord, there is great joy, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. So perhaps we should protect our time with the Lord, and we should re-etch boundaries into our life as non-negotiables to spend quality time with the Lord. And we should have boundaries in our life so that we are revived and we're fresh and we're exercised and we, we eat well. And we need to protect ourselves from growing faint and from growing discouraged. Because if you become faint or discouraged, we are very susceptible to temptation. Halt. Have you heard that acrostic? When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. Because you're very susceptible to temptation. You're very susceptible to speaking harshly and abrasively and crushing a bruised reed and snuffing out a smoldering wick. You're very susceptible to escape a sins. You're very susceptible to run to the world to, for a fix. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt, pray, spend time with the Lord, take a nap if you have to, go exercise, open up the Bible, worship Jesus, abide in Christ. Be spirit-filled again because there's joy in the presence of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Our Lord did not grow faint. He was not discouraged. He protected himself from that. He guarded himself from that. Because he understood though he was God, he lived in the flesh. He was 100% man. And he was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. So he guarded himself from being weary and being discouraged. Because he had such a high calling and he had to stay focused on the cross. And the Bible says he set his face towards Jerusalem like flint. And he unwaveringly kept marching toward the cross to accomplish his purpose. So this should characterize our ministry as well. We, as we follow in the footsteps of Christ, should be the servant of the Lord. We should be gentle and compassionate. We should protect ourselves from weariness, but be filled with joy, and we should have a determination to walk in accordance with our calling for the praise of the Lord. And let's look at the results of this. Thus, in verse 5, thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens, and stretched them out. And here, Isaiah is just reminding us yet once again that even God stretches out the cosmos. And that we read in 700 BC that the universe is infinitely expanding, something that we didn't figure out until the last half century. Who spreads out the earth and what comes from it? Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it? And I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. And watch what the Father says about the Son. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes to the blind. And the final characteristic of the Messiah that we're looking at in his first dispensation is that he is a covenant. And he offered his blood as a sacrifice and payment for our sins. And in following the ministry and the example of Christ, we need to pick up our cross daily and follow 
Count the cost. What is counting the cost? Whatever it takes to give Jesus first place in your life on a daily basis. Whatever it takes. So, Israel was originally designed by God to be a means to an end. God's people were not an end, they were a means to an end. As God told Abraham, I will bless you and make you great, I will make great nations of you, and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. It's a messianic promise. So God's people, the bearers of the covenant of the law, the bearers of God's glory, the bearers of the messianic lineage, were not an end in and of themselves, they were a means to an end for Jesus to be born through them and to bring justice to the nations. Salvation to the world and justice to the nations. But something really tragic happened, and that is that Israel stopped being a means to an end, and they became an end in and of themselves. And instead of glorifying God, they began committing idolatry. And then this discipline came upon them, and we know this well in our times together. 722 B.C., Assyria wiped out Israel. 586 B.C., about 150, 200 years from this point, Babylon will wipe out the southern kingdom of Judah. And they will then be blinded. And then verse 18 of chapter 42, God says to Israel, Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see... Who is blind but my servant, or deaf is my messenger, whom I sent? He's referring to Israel. Who is as blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. They bore the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. They're bearers of the Messianic lineage, verse 22. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will attend and listen for the time to come? It's a sad passage, isn't it? Israel was to be a means to an end for the glory of God, but they became an end in and of themselves, satisfying their own idolatry. And we see when that takes place, rather than being a means to an end for the glory of God and the hope of the world, two things happen. One, we are blinded, and secondly, we are bound. And this is what sin does. This is what becoming an end rather than a means does. It blinds us and then It binds us. And that's what happened to Israel. And so in closing, let me ask you this question. Does your life and ministry more reflect that of our Messiah and his first dispensation? Or does your life and ministry more reflect Israel when they found themselves blinded and bound? I pray that, I pray that your, your heart is surrendered to Christ, you're on fire for Christ, you're anointed, you have the joy of the Lord, you have energy in your life, and you're determined to, to live out your calling. You reflect the gentleness and the compassion of Christ. But I pray that your life has not become an end rather than a means to an end, and that's the glory of God and the hope of the world. But as an end in and of itself, the glory of God has become stifled in your life because you've become captivated 
by something in this world rather than captivated by Jesus Christ. And if you're captivated by this world, it could be just this blaring red light temptation. It could be something more subtle but no less insidious. You could worship the God of lust or you could worship the God of comfort and convenience and ease. Either way, you become an end rather than a means to an end, and that's the glory of God. And that has resulted in blinding and bounding. Or maybe you're still captivated by Jesus. You're captivated by the one who created it all, that he would come as a humble servant. You're captivated that though he spoke the cosmos into existence, he was so meek and humble that he depended only upon the Spirit's power, not to show up, but to show us what we could do. And we could do greater things than even him, he said. You're captivated by the one who is entirely submissive to the Father. You're captivated by the one who was tempted more than any of us in every second of his life, but knew no sin, not even an action and not even a motive. You're captivated by the one who's so powerful, he spoke the cosmos into existence, yet he never raised his voice, especially at those who were bruised in their heart and broken in their lives. And you're captivated by the one with this dogged determination whose calling was so important that he never let himself grow weary because of petty things in this world, and he never let himself become distracted by the petty things of this world, and even when people tried to pull him in to the petty arguments of the day, he avoided it and said, my kingdom is of heaven, and he remained doggedly determined and focused upon the cross of Christ until he finally laid down his life for the sins of the world. Have you ever been captivated by Christ? So captivated that you have to worship him. So captivated that you have to seek him. So captivated that throughout the day you look for opportunities to slip away, to spend time with the Lord and abide in the Lord because you've tasted and you see that the Lord is good. Or is somewhere along the way your captivation been diluted by the world's? Would you stand with me, please? So I just want to read to you a passage in closing from Isaiah 42, verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitations. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. This is the second coming. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shouts himself mighty against his foes. This is what happens when our heart becomes captivated by Christ. We look for the highest mountaintop to shout the glory and praise of the Lord to everyone, everywhere. So in closing, 
If you're one of our prayer ministers, would you please just come up and make your way up? If you would like prayer for anything in your life, please come forward. Let these guys pray for you. Perhaps you would just like to present your body a living sacrifice at this stage that represents an altar. Then, uh, man, just give your life to the Lord. Perhaps you need to return to the Lord. Perhaps you need to come to the Lord for the first time. Perhaps you need to return to the Lord. So, would you bow your heads with me? I wonder how many of you would say, I want to be captivated by the Lord, but I'm afraid I've been captivated by the world. Would you raise your hand? Okay. just want to encourage you. Come to Christ. The, the reality is we are all dependent upon the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. He will give us a new heart. And we are filled with the Spirit of Christ when we repent of from our captivation from this world and we return to Christ and ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, if you would like prayer this morning, then please have one of these prayer warriors pray for you or just come down and present your body a living sacrifice. Or maybe your relationship with Christ is awesome and you have the joy of the Lord as your strength to testify of it. Well, just worship Him with all your heart. Praise Him. So the altars are open.